Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Sometimes we come together and um, the news is grievous. And this is one of those days. And so we grieve today with those who grieve. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Um, The University of Northwestern St. Paul community is grieving the loss of one of its own this morning. Um, Paul Elmstrand was 27 years old, husband of Cindy, daddy to a two-year-old little girl and a five-month-old son. Um, Paul graduated from UNW in 2018. Uh, He was already serving with the Burnsville Police Department. He joined them in August of 2017 as a community service officer and then promoted to full officer in 2019. Member of the department's mobile command staff, the peer team, the honor guard, the field training unit. And Paul, uh, alongside a fellow officer, Matthew Ruge, also 27, and a fire department medic, Adam Finseth, um, who was a part of the SWAT that responded to this um, to this call in the wee hours of Sunday morning? There, these three young men lost their lives. I want to also be praying today for Burnsville Police Sergeant Adam Medlicott. He suffered non life threatening injuries and is being treated um, at a local hospital. Um, these guys have moms. These guys have friends. These guys have um, colleagues. These guys have families. And they knew that they were serving in a way that put their lives in mortal danger every single day in order that you and I might live in uh, in freedom and peace. And so let us be um, let's be praying today for all of those affected by these horribly tragic events of yesterday morning in Burnsville. Um, let us be praying for the family as well. Um, that was that these men were there to liberate. So um, there was an individual with um, more than one firearm um, and he had barricaded himself inside of a home where there were um, lots of kids, lots of kids aging in range from two to 15. And so we do want to be praying for, you know, the trauma experienced by so many people in this situation in, in the pre-dawn hours yesterday. And um, and want to be noting that, you know, last last night there was a candlelight vigil. There will be more. There, um, The UNW message stone is painted blue today with, um, with white letters, just rest in peace. And that will be the first indication that many people arriving on the university campus today have that something has happened. And they will then, um, you know, have their first conversation with somebody on campus and they will... Um, their day will be changed. <clears throat> and that's the way it happens, right? That's the way it happens. We don't know something, and then we know something. And so today, I want you to leave space. I want you to leave some space today 
for being the person who knows things that others don't know that is going to change their lives in ways that in this moment are hard to imagine. And I also want you to live with the expectation um, that things have happened that you don't yet know about, but you're about to find out. And you are a representative of the kingdom of heaven and the goodness of God in the midst of all of that. In the midst of all of that, you are a person who knows that um, this life is not all there is. You are a person who knows there's a redemptive arc over all of human history. You are a person who knows that grief is real and that hope is even more real. Um, So allow space today. Allow some space today to process with other people, to grieve with those who grieve, to rejoice with those who rejoice, and to acknowledge that um, there are moms out there and dads out there and friends out there and colleagues out there and brothers and sisters out there and spouses out there and kids and grandkids out there who are walking around with a grief too great to bear. And you are the ambassador of goodness and grace that's going to help them shoulder that. Could you be that person today in somebody else's life? I was going to lead off um, this hour this morning by inviting us to be praying with the mother of Alexa, Alexei Navalny. Um, she is in the Arctic Circle, desperately seeking to retrieve her son's body from the Russian government. And I was going to invite us to be praying today for Yulia Navalny, Alexei's wife, who is desperately seeking justice um, for her murdered husband. Alexei Navalny, uh, his name you may or may not recognize, 47 years old. He died Friday in a prison in the Arctic Circle. Um, He was the brightest light in Russia's opposition to Putin and uh, and his regime. And so we're going to talk with Elizabeth Newman next uh, about some things going on around the world, many of them related to Russia. Um, But I think that we'll just sit here for a moment and grieve with those who grieve. Imagine being Alexei's mom, unable to retrieve his body from a government that um, is responsible for his death but won't give him up. And maybe just stand for a moment with Mary, the mother of Jesus at the foot of the cross, or maybe just stand for a moment with Elizabeth when she learned that her son John had been beheaded at a dinner party. There's a lot of moms out there over the course of human history grieving in grief too great to bear. There's a lot um, going on today for which I hope we'll just make space. So make some space today for those who grieve and take some time today to grieve as well. We'll catch up next with Elizabeth Newman um, on some things going on around the world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. What in the world is going on in the world and how are we as Christians to 
process that information and respond. Elizabeth Newman is a security analyst. Um, she works with the National Immigration Forum and Moonshot Group. Um, she has formerly served um, in Homeland Security. Elizabeth, good morning. Hey, good morning, Carmen. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I just am putting that as the banner over our conversation today. That's very wise. That's very wise, especially when we start talking about new weapons and, um, you know, things that sometimes seem otherworldly. God is still God is still God. That's exactly right. And so um, in case you missed it in the news at the end of last week, one of those things where, um, you know, we were told, okay, this is happening, but, you know, go look somewhere else at something else because there's just not a whole lot uh, we want to tell you. Um, The the Russian government, I don't know, put nukes in space. That's what it sounded like. What's going on? Yeah. So uh, we don't think they put nuclear weapons in space yet. We think that they are building a weapon that um, could allow nuclear weapons to be used in space, not for the purpose of targeting people on Earth or things on Earth, but rather to um, impact satellites. And um, first thing to, to mention is that that would be a violation of the 1967 treaty that is still in effect, and Russia is a signatory to it that bans using weapons of mass destruction in space. Now, that has not stopped Putin from uh, violating treaties uh, previously. And um, it is a rather simple process for a country to to, uh, step out of a treaty. So um, presumably, if they were to proceed, they would just kind of announce that they are no longer a party to that 1967 treaty. But the reason that we... Uh, developed that treaty back in 1967 with then the USSR was because we, the United States, had done some early tests of nuclear weapons up in in the atmosphere, so about 250 miles up, and um, found out, like, hey, that doesn't work so well. Uh, It knocked out communications, um, telephone lines, and electricity many, many miles away because this was being done in like a remote area of the Pacific and it was impacting um, on the ground uh, the the ability to communicate. So that was back in like 1962. If you can imagine today how much of our comms is, are based actually Satellite in space. Based. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much everything these days is global communication systems. So if we were to have um, a nuclear weapon detonated in space, pretty much all of our emergency services, our cell phones, um, things that regulate our critical infrastructure, like generators, pumps, um, the way that we transfer money is um, highly precise and uses space-based satellites to to pinpoint time and place. Um, so all of our GPS type stuff would would fail. And consequently, when you when GPS fails, some of our uh, ability to even transfer money fails. So like it has this cascading effect that um, would would cripple economies. Now, the good news is that um, we though there might be some cascading effects that we couldn't necessarily predict that are kind of random, most likely this would not lead to loss of life on Earth. But 
as you can imagine, if we cripple economies, there would be massive chaos on earth, right? Um, So that's the concern is that he clearly is trying to create the ability to to have like the ticking time bomb literally hanging over all of our heads such that uh, if we don't comply with whatever Mr. Putin's next aim is, um, he could send us back to the Stone Age. So that's um, that some of the intelligence agencies seem to have disagreements on whether or not they have this capability, whether they're going to use this capability. So there's still a lot we don't know. Um, Nevertheless, you did see Washington kind of panic last week. There was a Mm -hmm. Senate uh, or a a Republican chair of Intel uh, on the House who kind of let the cat out of the bag that there's this new weapon that we need to be talking about. This is a game changer. And clearly the executive branch, the intelligence community was not happy that this is now out in the public domain because they were probably trying to use other means to perhaps disrupt this weapon, perhaps negotiate um, uh, using Iran or China to get Russia to not do this. Um, And anytime you start to put things in the public domain, it becomes a little more difficult to try to uh, achieve our aims, which would be making sure that this weapon never ends up in space. Yeah, I mean, you know, if they're going to uh, name it, um, you know, I would think the sort of Damocles might be a, uh, you know, <clears throat> right? I mean, it's just right there, just hanging over your head. Just you're down there, you're eating, you're drinking, you're making merry, and all the while uh, this this threat is looming over you. I might have been most disturbed, I just don't mind telling you, um, by uh, quotes yesterday from um, Dmitry Medvedev. I'm going to, you know, it's got so many consonants in it. Um, I know (laughs) I should be able to pronounce that. Um, uh, Former Russian president and former Russian prime minister, now the deputy security of the Russian Security Council. Here's a quote for you. Attempts to restore Russia's 1991 borders. This is obviously a conversation about Ukraine will lead to one thing, a global war with Western countries with the use of our entire strategic nuclear arsenal against Kiev, Berlin, London, and Washington, and against all other beautiful historic places that have long been included in the flight targets of our nuclear triad. Um, That's not just a threat about something that might happen in the distant future. That's a a very real active threat of, um, uh, of a war that would go far beyond the borders of Ukraine. Yes, um, very concerning, and and I couldn't quite tell from the the quote that you read if he if that was a warning for the Russian people um, against Putin um, and what Putin's aims are, or if um, he might be also saying to the world like, no, no, Putin really wants this, and this is not going to be good for any of us. Um, yeah, like look, Ukraine. If you are if you are Vladimir Putin. What has happened in Ukraine is utter failure. You have failed to to achieve your aims. And he looks bad to his people. And, you know, when you have, you know, he's a narcissist. He has a huge ego. Like, failure doesn't go well. And so you're constantly looking for retribution or a way to to save face. And um, some of the intel analysts think, you know, look, he knows that if he launches a nuclear weapon at Los Angeles or Washington, D.C., 
we have capabilities that exceed theirs and it it will lead to nuclear war with Russia and he might get a few missiles off and he might kill a few cities off, but like, he's not going to win. So if you're playing the, the chess match out, um, that's not, that doesn't achieve what Putin wants, right? Launching nuclear missiles at the United States does not get him what he wants. And he is looking to kind of reestablish Russian dominance um, and it's not just a USSR type of dom- dominance. He, he, people who kind of uh, assess him from afar, are, he, he has this vision of being the next czar. And so he's, mm. he's trying to create the Russian empire. Um, and so if, if that's your goal, then you don't want the the nuclear retaliation that would come your way so you're looking for alternatives to create that asymmetric power that nobody else has and and this is you know this is one of the things that he's looking for is can i put something into space and basically as a great example a, a metaphor there the sword of damocles uh, nobody can do anything about it because if they uh, start if i tell them okay now you have to give up on ukraine um, the alternative is, uh, instead of, so, you know, you can, you, the West can either support Ukraine or your economies can be crippled. Well, I mean, at that point, that is rather a game changing situation. And I, I don't know what uh, the West would decide, but um, understandably, if your first priority is making sure that your own people are safe and, and provided for, I, I think we'd, it, we'd be likely to see that that the West would cave. And so it's not just a, how do I win Ukraine? It's how do I win back all of the territory that I think Putin, Putin thinks uh, belongs to him and to get everybody else in the world to back off and let him reestablish a Russian empire. Hmm. So many, um, so many concerns on so many fronts. Um, we're going to take a very, very brief break. Um, when we come back, we're going to, um, we're going to talk about things a little you know, closer here to home. Although, you know, it, the, it's a small world. It's a very, very small world. And so let's just remember that God's got it all in his hands. Um, it is under his sovereignty, but there's a lot of power possessed um, in human hands. And so we want to be very, very good stewards of the times in which we live and the um, and the resources that God has placed under our stewardship. So uh, what does it look like in terms of being a nation in the world today, a nation with borders? What is happening um, at the U.S. southern border? And what are the decisions being made about that in Washington, D.C.? We are going to continue our conversation with Elizabeth Newman here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life.
What is happening on the U.S. southern border? Why do all these people want to come to America? I mean, you know, as frustrated as you might be with the place that you live, it's a great place. It's the greatest place on earth. And so lots of folks want to come to the U.S. Um, obviously, we are a nation with borders, and um, that means something. So the Senate uh, is working on a a border security bill. Um, ICE is facing funding problems. Here to talk about uh, all of that with us is Elizabeth Newman. All right, Elizabeth, I don't know. What's your over and under on what's happening? I'm just so depressed. Um, you know, the, the uh, immigration, for those of us that actually, you know, care about it as a policy issue, the last 20 years have felt like Lucy with the football. Like we get so close, so close. And we run and we're going to kick it. And then the football gets pulled by Lucy and Charlie Brown does a flip in the air. Um, look, I don't think anybody thought that the bill that the Senate was compromising on had a great shot. Um, there have been a lot of signals over the last um, uh, few months that the House Republicans were going to be pretty um uh, antagonistic towards it, but like it didn't even get the light of day. Like it, it came out on a Sunday. I want to say two weeks ago. Um, last time I was with you, uh, we had just gotten the text of the bill, and within before anybody could have actually read it, because it's like 350 pages. And if you've ever read a bill that's written to amend things, it it doesn't read like plain English. You actually have to go to the, you know, it's referencing other bills or other laws and you have to go to that law, find the text that it's referencing and see where it's changing things, where, where it's striking certain language, where it's adding certain language. Um, it also was an appropriations bill. So it was putting money in things and you would have to go to the original um piece of legislation to know what that program was that it was funding. So there is, there is, it is humanly impossible for somebody to have read this 350 page bill in a matter of minutes. And what we saw was within a matter of minutes, um, house leadership go, I've seen enough. No, we're not supporting this. And it's just dead on arrival. There was no conversation around, Hey, we'll take up portions of this and make our own bill, which is what, Congress is usually supposed to do, and then you go to conference, and then in conference you uh, do further compromises to come up with the final text. Um, and so it just it's disheartening uh, to watch our institution of Congress further decay in its ability to do its job. Um, I recall uh, when I was with you two weeks ago, um, my encouragement was to remind everybody that the constitutional system we live in is based on compromise. Like the United States of America doesn't exist but for compromise. Like compromise is baked into how we were founded. It is baked into the constitution. If you want to define success as the lack of compromise, then you literally need to call for a constitutional convention and rewrite our constitution. We cannot function as a country without compromise. And right now what we have are political leaders who have defined compromise as somehow um, a, a violation of a purity test. Um, compromise is evil. And um, and I, I don't know how we function. I don't know how we do the basics of keeping our take. It doesn't even have to be something as hard as immigration. Just 
um, you know, the, the some of the conversations that are happening right now around whether or not we're going to support Israel with funding, whether we're going to support Ukraine with funding, whether we're going to fund our government agencies like the Department of Defense, like intelligence communities, uh, agencies. These these are the things that members of Congress were hired to address and they are not able to do that unless compromise is a part of the process. So um, if we take it back to the border, what we have watched over a period of really a decade, the first effort to try to update our immigration laws was actually under George W. Bush in 2005 and 2006, and it failed. Um, and then we had another attempt in 2013, 2014 that failed. There was another attempt in 2018 that failed. Um, so we are in a long a uh, series of failures. And if you look back at all of those previous uh, rules or uh, uh, potential laws that, that were drafted, the legislative text that was drafted, what we had uh, this past month is far more severe in terms of, and, and strong in terms of border security. And as a Homeland Security person, I like that, right? Like I, I work um, with the National Immigration Forum. I believe uh, personally that um, immigration makes our country stronger, and I want people to come here by legal pathways, but I want to know who they are. I want to know that they don't have a nefarious intent, um, and I want us to be able to vet them. And in order to do that, I need there to be more capability at all of our ports of entry and all of our borders. Um, I want more money. I want more resources. I want more technology. Um, this is what it means when you're strong on border security. This bill had all of that. And um, the consequence of not doing something, it doesn't have to be perfect, uh, but not doing something means that the situation that we are currently enduring at the southern border is just going to get worse. This is playing into the cartel's hands. They take advantage of our chaos and our inability to quickly adjust to their tactics. And it means that we are going to continue to see more and more people coming to our southern border both through legal means, um, through claiming asylum at ports of entry, as well as uh, crossing the border uh, illegally and then claiming asylum. And um, we, there were things in the bill that would have cut some of that back and, and made it more manageable um, so that we could have a better sense of who is here. And unfortunately, it, it just thinks, it seems that this whole um, effort is dead on arrival. And uh, I don't have much hope that anything's going to happen this year on uh, immigration reform. Yeah, which means we're going to continue to talk about the challenge of, of of borders that are essentially porous, and it's just going to continue to inf inflame and anger. And so we as Christians, um, I think part of the challenge, Elizabeth, is for me to is for me to absolutely say, I believe that our borders should be secure. I believe that um, we should have legal pathways to immigration and that every other pathway should be closed. It's a, it, it is then incumbent upon me as a Christian to figure out how do I respond in love to the alien in my midst? How do I respond yes. um, you know, with grace to the person standing on the street corner who does not have access to, I mean, it's not like they're going to quote unquote go home. They don't have a home to go to. This is where they live now. And so I just, um, it's, it is really difficult. It's incredibly complex. And so thank you for sifting through and, and, and sorting it out with us. We really do appreciate it. 
Thank you so much. That's Elizabeth Newman. You can find her at Moonshot Group and the National Immigration Forum. Lauren Green is going to join us next. We're going to talk about light for today and bright hope for tomorrow. You are a lighthouse um, and you live in the light of Christ. So uh, let's go be shiny next with Lauren Green. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, who are the shiny ones in your life? Who who do you think about, you know, like, I want to be with that person because, man, they just glow. They're just shiny. Well, Lauren Green is one of the shiny ones. You know her as the chief religion correspondent for Fox News. Maybe you also know her from her very popular podcast, Lighthouse Faith, or her book, Lighthouse Faith, God as a Living Reality in a World Immersed in Fog. Well, she's joining us today with Light for Today, 365 daily devotions from the lighthouse. Lauren, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much, Carmen. You know, this is so great. You know, I was just listening to the Gary Chapman um, uh, uh, ad there with about marriage, and I have to give you a little, little side story for about 15 seconds. I once knew Isaac Hayes, you know, Isaac Hayes of Shaft and all that other things. Um, I gave him that book, the five love love the five love languages of Gary Chapman. He loved it so much. He gave it to all his friends. He says this should be standard reading for the entire world. That's how much he loved it. So that's my little story about uh, the five love languages. I feel like light for today could be standard reading for the whole world, and everything would be. Oh, better. you're so sweet. That's so. Thank you. Thank you so much. Right. Right. I do think that there's just a lot of people. It's not that we're just living in times that feel dark and oppressive or, you know, a world immersed in fog, as you as you said in in the uh, in the prior book that this is related to. But I just feel like a lot of people are that like there's now fear in the dark, like they're they're not it. It's getting seemingly worse, not better. So you um, are helping us to be shiny. Um, I like, uh, that you are encouraging us to speak the truth in love, but I also really like that you're encouraging us to like live the first commandment. So let's start there. Um, like what, what does it really mean to just, you know, go be shiny in your everyday life? One of the things that's very important is to recognize that the 10 commandments are just not arbitrary rules set down, but some, you know, dictator, God loves us. God loves us. And the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments that you find in the in the book of, of Exodus um, is really a description of who God is. And because we are made in his image, we are best and we are most joyful when we reflect him, reflect those commandments. And the first commandment is key because it's set up so powerfully. I am the Lord, your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And the reason that's key is because you cannot break commandments two through 10 without first breaking number one. And that makes the 10 commandments a closed system, right? That everything in the system responds to that key point first, and then to the the rest of the system. You can't commit adultery unless somebody else's love is more important to you than God's love. You can't steal unless something is more valuable to you than God. Um, You can't covet unless something else you want more than God. And this is just so key. And you have to live these things out every day. I mean, I'm just doing devotionals this morning because it's because it's like if you're a musician, you've got to practice every day. You know, mm. if if you're a human being, you've got to eat every day. You've got to find nutrition every day. God's word is very much the same. You've got to feed yourself with God's word, with the nutrition of God's word. Then you live it out 
in your daily life, in the relationships you have, and um, in, in this most innocuous points in your life, you know, in the checkout counter at the grocery store or in the cubicle or in the doctor's office, in the dentist's office. I mean, it's just so, when you realize that every moment of every day, you can draw closer to God in just your relationships with whoever you meet, happen to meet that day. All right. Um, so you are one of the shiny ones um, and you radiate. I mean, you just radiate the the light of Christ all the time. I want I want you to describe for people who they've never really thought about the concept of faith as a lighthouse or themselves as a lighthouse that God wants to use. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the lighthouse image and um, or metaphor and make some observations about it so that people can sort of connect all the dots here? One of the things that the lighthouse represents, of course, is safety, is safety in the midst of darkness. The lighthouse beckons you home to a safe shore. The lighthouse lights the way so that you can see where you're going in the midst of darkness. Um, the lighthouse is a, is a sort of source of strength. Um, and so the light, the beacon of light um, is what God is for us. It is safety. And the reason why it became this metaphor, I mean, it, the lighthouse has become, has been a metaphor long before I used it. But when I saw it as the beacon representing the Ten Commandments, then it just blew my world away. Because here you've got this beacon of light and nothing else is important but that light when you're in darkness. You know, mm-hmm. Psalm uh, 119 is the longest, I believe, um, chapter oh, in yeah. the Bible. And, and it is a veritable love poem to God's light and his structure and his order. And the light of the lighthouse represents that structure and order. Um, and, it, and it beckons you home. Um, it represents strength. It represents um, order. It represents um, a refuge in times of trouble. It just simply is light. And light, we know, is, you know, I am the light of the world. This is Jesus, mm-hmm. the light of the world. You know, it beckons you home. There's no, there's no coincidence here. I mean, there's just, there's just simply not. And so when I was going through some troubles um, and I was at a friend's house, um, you know, uh, out on Long Island, and she had this old grainy photo of a lighthouse and I was just kind of like, God, what is going on? What is going on? All of a sudden, I looked over at that photo, which I'd seen before. And it was like, God was this revelation that said, I am here. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am here. And so for me, the lighthouse then became this incredible symbol of God's love, of his protection, of his mercy, of his grace. Um, There is just, um, and in it, I saw, of course, the cross. Um, There was just no doubt about what God was telling me, that his love is never failing. It is ever present. In fact, it is is as as close as the air you breathe. That's how close God's love is for those who who seek it. How cool is it? Yeah. How how cool is it that um, that Lauren Green is our sister in Christ? Like, you know her. She's like legit famous. Right. So but as you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, how cool is it that Lauren Green thinks about the things I'm thinking about and she's reading the Bible I'm reading? And, you know, she's also in Psalm 119, where thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. Like, how cool is that, that we are 
walking by faith in the world that God so loves alongside a sister in Christ named Lauren Green. Um, We are talking today about her latest book, Light for Today, 365 Daily Devotions from the Lighthouse, Hope and Wisdom for Life. And yes, we do have copies to give away for those of you who are asking. Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll enter you into the drawing for the copies of Light for Today that we have to give away today. Um, Lauren, you you live in the midst of... Um, some complexities. I'll use. I'll say it that way. Um, the the world of media, the world where often um, it doesn't really matter where you are across the spectrum of of journalism today. You're accused of misinformation or you know playing politics with everything. So when we come back, can we talk about seeking God's truth and speaking God's truth in a culture of misinformation and where really everybody is trying to persuade us to do something? Right. Absolutely. We can certainly. Okay. Fantastic. More with Lauren Green here in just a moment. She is the chief religion correspondent for Fox News Channel and host of the podcast Lighthouse Faith. That's also the name um, of her book. And today we're talking about a follow on. It's a 365 daily devotional called Light for Today. We're giving away copies. So text the word book to 877 933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. How do you run to God? Um, how do you approach God? Do you recognize this lighthouse nature of the promise of safety and the shelter from the stormy blast and a your eternal home? Do you recognize God's presence and truth in the midst of the storms of life? Um, are you standing with him on that firm foundation? So Lighthouse Faith is uh, the book by Lauren Green where she talks about all of those concepts and that reality and how you actually walk out a lighthouse faith in the world that God so loves, even even in a world uh, immersed in fog. We're talking today about the 365 daily devotions from the lighthouse that's a companion to the book. It's called Light for Today. We are giving away copies. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Lauren, you, you work in I mean, you you just I don't want to say you work in the lion's den, but you certainly work in the in, in a very, very complex space today. Um, and that is media, television, uh, journalism, news. Um, talk with us about speaking the truth and seeking God's truth, like discernment in the midst of a culture of misinformation where everybody's trying to persuade us of something. Well, one of the first things that any media person will any media person of faith should should take into their heart is that yes people are people are equal people are loved by god um and we're all made in god's image that's the first thing but ideas are not equal lifestyles are not always in god's plan so these things can actually conflict and in journalism when people have been taught the sort of skills of journalism they can treat them as equal and I think that's one of the problems in today's media is that you've got to recognize that there is a standard of good and evil or good and bad that exists as an objective source, right? There is objective evil, objective good that exists outside of me. Now, 
decades ago, uh, maybe centuries ago, people grew up and they understood that there was a standard of good and evil to which uh, a standard of good to which they must mold their lives to that existed outside of themselves. Right. We're existing in a world today where the standard for good now exists inside of me and that the world must adjust to me. That is a whole different concept and a whole different idea than what, you know, the world believed or even America believed, you know, decades ago or centuries ago. So that's a challenge in today's media. But the thing about it is, is that if you're a journalist and you don't recognize that, that can be a problem. I mean, case in point, this is just this came out today that St. Patrick's Cathedral is holding a mass of reparation to atone for hosting a sacrilegious trans activist funeral. Now they hosted this funeral for a trans activist because the organizers, you know, he was Catholic, they wanted a Catholic funeral. But in the result, like a thousand people showed up, many in dressed in drag, and they said incredible, horrible things in, you know, America's parish, the Catholic parish, the St. Patrick's Cathedral. So there's this controversy about what happened. But then there's a controversy about St. Pat's holding a reparations mass, you know, to cleanse the the the, the sanctuary of this evil this 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 because this is one of those stories where what the world the secular world holds as good conflicts with what god's plan for humanity holds for good and they they simply clashed and even in the stories that are written about it people are people are you know conflicting over like well you know everybody's you know uh, all life is sacred yes all life is sacred but not all lifestyles are sacred and I think that's so, the Lauren, controversy. Yeah. When I read that story, um, and for those of you who are listening, not familiar with this, um, uh, a a trans activist who was just a very, very vocal atheist as well. Um, yeah. There was there was a funeral mass held at St. Patrick's Cathedral in um, in New York City at the request of, I would assume, this person's parents, most likely, because that is who would have laid claim to them having been baptized as a Catholic, which is the only way right, to get such right. a funeral mass. So, right. So that that's the group of people who asked for this. And they they are the ones, Lauren, who, as I was reading the coverage, I'm th- and, and everybody is so surprised that a thousand people showed up. I'm thinking no one's more surprised um, at who showed up than the members of this individual's family who baptized, had this person baptized as as a Catholic out of, you know, an expression of their faith. I'm just saying that, like, right. what what is lost in all of this for me, in all of the coverage that I've seen so far, is that family's story. Because this person yeah. became something other than what they knew. And the people who showed up um, really bore all of this witness and testimony to what this individual became not the person who this family was trying to right. honor and remember. It's just the whole thing. Just, yes. Yeah. So that's what's going on. Um, I um, That is a really helpful uh, uh, story to lift up in this conversation because you talk about like a mess and and the fog of yeah. different people's expectations and different people's agendas and language and clothing choices right. and um, decorum and, and on and on and on. Wow, that's a really good... Um, and in the midst of that, how do I be shiny? Like, how am I going to speak the truth in a way that honors Jesus and, you know, and isn't so off-putting to people who really need Jesus that they're going to turn away? Like, that is the complexity of the time in which we live. 
Exactly, exactly. And one of the problems with media is that we tend to talk at people. But in order to really create change in someone's lives, you've got to be in the trenches with them. So mm-hmm. media, TV is really kind of a hard place to kind of have these conversations because I, I don't know you personally, so I'm not seeing you every morning and talking to you every morning and, and showing you that I love you, but that it doesn't mean that I affirm your life, right? I'm going, mm-hmm. to, I'm going to be Jesus to you, but one of the things that Jesus always did was tell people what they needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear. But he also preached the truth in love, and that's the way you help change people. You can't change them by just only love, which means it's just I'm just affirming everything you are. I'm just going to love you. I'm just going to love you. And you're not going to change them by 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 conflicting and 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 criticizing them. And you're you're sinful. You're not going to change them that way. But only if you can combine them both of preaching the truth in love. And this is what Jesus did. He told he always answered people with a question or with a statement that answered what they really wanted to hear, what they really needed to hear. You know, just like um, you know Nehemiah. Nehemiah, I think it was Nehemiah, no. Um, I forgot. Um, it's all right. <laughs> but approached him and said, "What do I need to inherit oh, the rich eternal young ruler. life?" Yeah. What must yeah, I do? But, I've kept all the commandments. What must I do? And yeah, Jesus is right, like, yeah. right. And he says, "Well, well you know, you." I, he says, "I've done this and do this and this." He says, "Well, I've done all that. Okay, sell everything and follow me." He goes, "I can't do that." The problem is, is that people read into that saying, "We have to." You have to divest yourself of all your wealth in order to follow Jesus. That's not what he's saying because he's speaking to that particular person whose wealth was a was a impediment to him really following him. His wealth had owned him instead of him owning his wealth, right? Mm, and I think so that good. was the difference. That's why Jesus said that to him because he was trying to justify himself before God. I've done all these things and now I, I'm good. No, you're kind of being controlled by your wealth. I mean- and that's kind of how it works. Well, or, I mean, it's the other yeah, thing. or your or your pride. I mean, if you think you've kept your all pride. the commandments, clearly you don't. You clearly you don't understand, like fully exactly. understand them. Your pride is, is no, an impediment because yeah, you think no you're, you all. think you've earned your salvation, yeah. and that's one thing we know we can't do. We're saved by grace, Amen. not by our works. Lord. Lauren, we uh, we love talking with you. Sadly, we are completely out of time. Oh, so I yes. I know I know, but we love you. We thank you so much. Thank you for being one of the shiny ones. Be encouraged today. Know that we're praying for you, um, and thank you for being with us. We do have copies of Lauren Green's uh, Light for today to give away today, and so I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity. Text the word book to eight seven seven nine three three two four. Eight four Lauren blessings uh, blessings upon you. Um, all right, so um, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for the gift of time together. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Did you receive that? Did you receive that? Rick, this is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you right now. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you right now. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace right now. Hey, there's people who thought that Jesus on the cross was the worst, worst, worst day ever, and it was. But God transformed the worst day ever into the best day ever. So could you allow God to transform today? 
Whatever you face, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, could you let God shine the glory of his grace and make it the best day ever? Have a best day ever, and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.